This is Doug Hadaway. Welcome to Achieve Great Things, where we talk about the power of strategy, science, and storytelling to help you achieve ambitious goals for people on the planet. The economy is the number one issue on the minds of voters in the United States. Not surprisingly, it's also on the minds of politicians, policymakers, and policy advocates. They're trying to figure out how to talk to people about the economy in ways that build trust in their ideas and support for their solutions. But how do American voters think about the economy? Who do they trust to tackle economic issues? How can you talk about economic policy in terms that really speak to working people? On this edition of Achieve Great Things, you'll hear surprising insights and powerful ideas from communications research involving more than 100,000 people, all backgrounds and beliefs, and all kinds of communities all across the country. We'll talk to Bobby Clark. He's He's an accomplished strategist who led a team of researchers to produce a new narrative architecture you can use to promote all kinds of economic policies and programs. It's called the Winning Jobs Narrative. You'll hear some highlights and learn how you can get your hands on the research and resources for free. Bobby, thanks for joining us. And I know a lot of our listeners are going to be excited to hear about new ways to talk about the economy. You've led some very large scale messaging projects over the years. And the winning narrative project at 100,000 respondents and counting is definitely a, a massive undertaking in narrative research. Tell us the story about it. What sparked this undertaking? What problem are you trying to solve? So I, I, uh, I'm a, a consultant and I work with a number of clients. One of my clients is the Rural Democracy Initiative. And we were hearing from grantees in the wake of the 2020 election that there was really uh, a, a growing uh, sort of existential crisis, really, uh, on the progressive left. And that is that we have been losing um, working class voters, specifically non-college voters, uh, have been shifting to the right in recent years. And, and we've seen that movement among white working class voters for a while. But in the 2020 election, we really started to begin to see that with non-college people of color. Uh, which presents a you know a, an incredible challenge for the left that is has a coalition that is dependent on you know really strong participation by people of color, um, and then relatedly, you know one of the things we heard a lot is just the the sense from folks out on the ground uh, on the front lines doing the work that they're the the left is lacking a uh, an economic narrative that really resonates with people broadly and. Uh, uh, sort of connected to that, the economy is consistently the top issue for voters. And, and, you know, polling has shown for a long time that that is, it's just not a progressive strength that Republicans and the, the conservatives are, tend to be more trusted on the economy. And so our goal was really to, uh, we set out to identify a core narrative architecture uh, for a, uh, for an economic narrative uh, that works with a, with a progressive issue agenda and that resonates with working people across race and geography. And let's talk to folks about what how we're defining narrative and so forth. Because when you look at polling over the years on specific economic policy ideas, like let's raise the minimum wage, right? We consistently get people, uh, and you were talking about what might be called working class people. People don't have a college education. Many of them probably struggling to make ends meet in the kind of jobs they do and are agreeing with lots of specific policy ideas, but still trusting Republicans and voting for Republicans on around economic issues, even though they're agreeing with Democrats. Tell us about that, because we've got, OK, they agree with us on the issues, but they're not trusting us. Heading into this project, we assume just based on our experience that there were probably a number of things at work here that are contributing to the loss of strength with working class voters, the, the shift to the right. And some of that we, we uh, you know, going into the project, we thought that one of our challenges is probably that um, 
these voters do not see and hear from us that we share the same values related to uh, the economy and jobs and work. Um, and, you know, having been around research for a long time, that that's that's certainly something I've seen for a long time. Um, and, and so we really but we you know, we wanted to unpack that. We, we assumed that there were multiple things at work that if we could figure them out, um, you know, we would be able to uh, resonate better with people across race and geography. And so that was really the the point of the, the project was to to go big with research, um, to really take a broad look at uh, everything we could get our hands on and, and to problem solve and try to understand, like, what are the key things? Uh, and then what we hoped we would find is four or five elements that are uh, parts of a story that we need to be able to reinforce over time that n- not necessarily that all five of those things would be present in every message, but those are all things that need to be messaged message to in some way and that we could provide a prescription for how to do that. Let's get into some of the lessons you've learned. I know this matter of trust of progressives on the economy and so forth is going to come up. Let's start with the mindsets. How do most people think about the economy and how it works? So, you know, there's been some debate on the left about whether we should message about the economy at all, uh, because there's there's some who believe that voters don't really understand the economy. They think it's it's like the weather. It's just a thing. It's a thing that is and not a thing that's constructed. We saw in our research that um, people absolutely understand the economy. They absolutely mm-hmm. understand that it's a thing that's constructed through conscious choice. And, and we think COVID may have had something to do with sharpening that perspective for people. It, it's almost like it was a giant economics lesson. Like they, mm. you know, they were able to see um, how decisions impact the overall economy, impact their their economic well being, and they also saw how their role in the economy, their purchasing, their work, and and so mm. um, one of the things that we saw really clearly, and there's been a lot of work. On, on this idea on the left for many years around this idea of middle-out economics as a counter to, to the conservative idea of trickle-down economics. And what we saw is that, 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 that this middle-out thinking or this, this belief that working people, ordinary, ordinary working Americans are the engines and the, really are the economy, um, that that really dominates. That trickle-down thinking does persist, but um, the, the sort of the dominant view that people come up with on their own when asked is that the economy is really about people. Um, so good news uh, for mm. for those of us on the progressive side of things, because that that really animates a lot of our uh, uh, a lot of our work. And for you know, people thinking about the economy, it really in their life for most of us translates into jobs, which means work. What are three things our listeners should know about voters' mindsets when it comes to jobs and work? Uh, Well, so first, um, across race and across geography, uh, we identify, we all identify as hardworking people. And, And we all believe that our work is very central to our lives. Uh, and our ability to to achieve what we want out of life, and so um, there. And in the in our report out, we have a lot of great data to to, to show this, just like how central our own agency is in our in, in, in our in the story that we all have for ourselves. And the the kind of two buckets of things that people really want from from work, and 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 people define work very broadly. That it mm-hmm. beyond just a paid job, it's it, it is. Um, uh, you know, our participation basically in society. And there, there are two things that people want. The people want to be able to build a good life for themselves and their family. And they want to be able to contribute and participate 
uh, in their community. They want to be a contributing, participating member of the group. And so those are, we expected to see the former. We expected to see um, this, uh, you know, a little bit more individualistic aspect to work, that it's about me and my family and my ability to provide for myself. Uh, What we were surprised to see is just how dominant this more collective idea of work is, that it's it's also about participation in and uh, contribution to community. Mm -hmm. Um, Another thing that um, about both of those things is just how much value we place on that for ourselves and how we feel about ourselves, our ability to do those two things, uh, to provide for ourselves and our family and to contribute to community. And then finally, um, you know, it, as I said, it's it, it's not just about what one of the things that we wanted to explore going into this is like we we on the left often um, delineate between what are economic issues and what are cultural issues. One of the things that we saw really clearly in this is that that division doesn't exist for most people. Um, jobs in the economy is absolutely about culture um, and about deeply held values. Um, and 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 things that we may think as as, as cultural also have, uh, you know, are. are very much connected to people's economic well-being and and their sense of of personal um, livelihood, and so and and then so then a key question for us on the left is if if jobs in the economy is is also very much a cultural issue, then that it's very important for us to to connect culturally with voters about about these issues, uh, so that they can so that they can trust us and believe that we. We share their values and and we're on the same team. And in this context, that's what you mean by culture and culturally, that we're speaking to people's aspirations and values that sort of define who we are as people. Right. Right. Yeah. So what is the disconnect there? Because when we talk about, yeah, being able to provide for yourself and your family and doing your part for you, contributing to your community, those sound like what a lot of my progressive friends would say. Yeah, those are progressive values. What's the disconnect? It, it, part of the disconnect is that we we uh, we don't uh, have consistently enough in our narrative that we that we value work and contribution. Um, like one of the critiques that people we wanted to explore this this critique that we often hear from voters about you know sort of like socialist democrats and what what's at the root of that and mm. and and to do this we we explored this not only in our own research but we compared notes with a lot of other folks who are doing like big important and deep analysis and listening to voters and and at the root of that it really is that that people think that we don't value work and contribution that we believe mm. that that um that it's really about just having things and not and not doing things, and and of course we don't believe in work requirements, and we believe that there should be a robust safety net, but we absolutely, as you just said, like we, we absolutely believe in that everyone wants the opportunity to be able to build a life for themselves and their family, that everyone wants to participate in society and be a contributing member. Um, that is that's that's baked into our DNA as as social creatures, and so uh, of course we value those things. It's just that people. Um, we're not communicating in ways that reinforce that idea that we share those values. And that's what uh, that's what we're working toward. Uh, let's dig into how to communicate the you call this body of work a narrative architecture, which when you look at it is essentially a five point framework or formula that we can use to develop messages on all kinds of economic issues and policies and programs. So let's let's walk through the five points and hear your wisdom about those. So the first one says lead with working people in your messaging. Tell us about that. Why is that important? What's an example of that? Yeah, working people as the as the heroes. So. 
One of the things we, we, we saw in the research, like again, going back decades, is that there, there are some pretty persistent perceptions of the right and the left. Um, and and one, of the, one of the perceptions that goes along with, with people's trust in the economy is that they, they believe that um, uh, they, first of all, they believe that neither party really is looking out for, for ordinary working folks. They believe Republicans mm-hmm. are actually care more about the rich and they believe Democrats care more about the poor. Um, the challenge for, for progressives, for Democrats is that often the, the margins are out of whack. That people will say that Democrats and progressives care more about the poor by, by sometimes twice the margin than they say that about conservatives, Republicans. And so that's a challenge. If, if people don't, don't believe that, that, that we are, that we have their economic well-being at heart, um, then, um, you know, it's difficult for them to trust us. And so, uh, and we make these choices all the time about how we how we frame. One example, um, with uh, re- recently, you know, a, a year ago, when the child tax credit was about to hit, so in the summer of 2021, in June, mm-hmm. uh, the Democratic caucus had a closed door meeting, and they talked about how they wanted to frame the child tax credit, and they decided to focus on the child tax credit uh, on the, the on the aspect of the child tax credit that would lift half of children out of poverty, and that was important and huge, and it was one of the most important anti poverty initiatives since the 60s. Yeah, but but it was also true that the child tax credit had a much bigger impact beyond um, um, uh, anti poverty work. It was a huge boost. For for all working, for all working people, and so uh, by choosing to focus on uh, with a, with an anti poverty message instead of uh, or uh, without also having a message about how this is for for all working people, um, you know, we reinforce that idea that that what we're focused on is are looking at for the poor and not necessarily ordinary working folks, and it is true. That you know, uh, progressive policies do benefit people broadly. It's just that we are we are justice minded people, and we are, you know, often very focused on particular interventions that help a particular part of the population. And 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 if we forget to make the story broader than that, and it usually is broader than that, then then people don't hear themselves in the story. Uh, and they and and what yeah. we saw in in related research is that people actually don't begrudge progressives, Democrats for caring. about They actually think it's laudable that Democrats and progressives care about the poor. They just wish that Democrats and, and progressives also cared about them. And so we just have to remember to keep them in the story. And and like I said, we, you know, we know that they believe that they are, um, you know, the, that the economy starts with them. And so having them at the center of the story really helps us to, to connect with them and make sure they see themselves in it. Yeah, and people not seeing. I understand too from a lot of research about um, poverty and working and so forth. Most people aren't going to see themselves in the words poor and poverty, even though in America to be poor probably means you have two or three jobs, <laughs> right? Right. And right. you are working hard and just not being paid enough. Yeah. Um, and that language really, and 80 plus percent of people self identify as middle class. Of course, the economists would say, no, there's, you know, you're low income. So, yeah, lots of ways people. People aren't seeing themselves in it. So first, right. they need to see themselves in it. Second, it said, show that you value and support work. Tell us about so that. That question I was just talking about where people, when they're asked, like, who's looking out for you? And they and they say, um, you know, Democrats are looking for the poor, Republicans for the rich. They will also, one, another question that's, that's consistently asked in research is who values work, who values hard work? And mm-hmm. Republicans and conservatives really have maintained an advantage on that question over a long period of time. And there are reasons why 
uh, progressives have challenges around this idea of hard work and valuing work. And, you know, we see the ways that the right tries to weaponize that idea and make suggestions about who works and who doesn't. Um, you know, we want to be, we also believe in a robust safety net and, and we don't believe in work requirements. And so, because of the way the right communicates uh, about these values of hard work, um, we we're, we're hesitant on on the left and how we want to engage around that. And so we actually thought that this was one of the areas that we could contribute the most new thinking. And and so you know, as I said earlier, it really it, it there's nothing about what people. Uh, inherently think about hard work and being hardworking that is that is conservative or not progressive. Uh, you know, like mm-hmm. wanting to build a life for yourself and your family, wanting to be a contributing, participating member of society. Uh, we could work with that. <laughs> we just have to be clear yeah. that we that we value that. And so, you know, there there are a couple of ways that we can make expressions of how we value work. Um, we can, we can acknowledge how hardworking people are and talk about what they should be able to expect for that. So essentially kind of a hard work should pay message. And there are, and that is a way that some progressives do talk about hard work. There's also, um, you know, this, this prospect, like, what are we aspiring to with our policies? What are we trying to uh, bring about? And so like statements like, you know, uh, we don't just need more jobs. We need jobs that pay people enough to take care of them themselves and their families and contribute to the communities, we, we are we are saying we aspire to the things that you want from work. We are we are pro work in that way and sharing those values that 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 shows people that we think like them, that we care about what they want and that we're, we're fighting for what they want. Yeah, this is a good example of the importance and power of what we're calling narrative, stating your values and aspiration in relation to the policies and programs, because on one level you think, well, we're the ones who are pushing for jobs to pay more money. If you really want to respect hard work, pay for it. And of course, the uh, pro-big business conservatives are always against any policy that would raise people's incomes. So they need we need to get this is building on top of the substance and framing yeah. it to use our term for that. Yeah. Also, Doug, uh, you're just referring back to the child. So we did a test uh, in this project where we we um, uh, the child tax credit had expired and we were focusing on um, messages that uh, would would generate more support for extending the child tax credit. Um, and also a, a second question we asked is uh, whether people believe that democratic economic policies um, uh, are for people like them. And we tried alternative three alternative frames for uh, the child tax credit, um, uh, two that were about uh, lifting children out of poverty, uh, two that were um, uh, more about just helping. This will help people. Times are hard. This will help. And then two that were pro-work. Um, this will um, make sure that parents can afford childcare so that they can work and take care of their families. The only frame that moved the dial forward on extending the child tax credit in agreement that Democrats care about people like me was the the pro-work um, was the pro-work frame. And so, you know, again, we're not saying that we shouldn't talk about, uh, you know, anti-poverty work. That's important. It's also mm-hmm. important for us, for people to hear us express that we, that we, that we do value work and that we are, um, you know, our policies will help people be able to work and take care of themselves, take care of their families, build a life and contribute to the communities. Yeah. And, Working with this this kind of research a lot, what I'm hearing here is, of course, people support doing it to help people in poverty and do agree that it will help people, but you're getting more people seeing themselves and thus higher levels of interest and motivation and so forth because they're seeing themselves reflected as well. Right, right. 
I mean, there's more we can do with with uh, the anti-poverty messaging as well to relate that more broadly to people. But but in and again, we're not suggesting uh, uh, you know that we that, that we shouldn't talk about uh, things like anti-poverty work. But we're we're suggesting mm-hmm. that there are. This is an example of where we could broaden the story uh, with additional messaging. Yeah. Yes. And. And you had mentioned our the third uh, sort of guiding principle, which you've referred to, and it speaks back to people seeing themselves in our vision and understanding the economy. It says position working people as the engines of the economy. Say more about that. You know, we, as we spoke about earlier, that really is how people think uh, uh, organically that they are that they are economically generative that the economy starts with their activity with their with their purchasing with their work um, and it that happens to be the the logic model for a lot of our policies so uh, minimum wage for example um, uh, you know the the idea for that is that it that it, it's not just right and just that people be paid a fair wage for their work, but that actually is smart economics. It benefits all of us. It benefits the entire economy because when people have more money uh, to spend, then they have that, then they, then they can do more things with that and they can be more economically generative and that's good for everybody. Um, mm. And so, and it, it is also true that, that uh, a lot of conservative policies really are built on the idea of trickle down, that if we give tax cuts to corporations and billionaires, that somehow that's going to emanate to the rest of the population. And that's laughable at this point after decades <laughs> of, of uh, seeing that attempted. But um, so so we need to. So there's a couple of things about this. So we know that people that that is more of what they believe. And it is an important premise for a lot of our policies. And it's also true that we need to make sure that that is that that idea is activated in people as they're think as they're considering uh, mm-hmm. you know a minimum wage increase. And so both of those things are true. It is, but I will suggest that it is such a there's such powerful agreement with most voters with that statement, and we can do it in a couple of ways. We can literally say working people are the engines of the economy, and people know what you mean. Um, yep. We did some messaging where we did highlighter exercises uh, and uh, to see you know within a message what do people most gravitate to, and that idea working people as the engines of the economy incredibly popular. So mm-hmm. if you're in a position as a communicator to make a statement that you know is going to generate um, a, um, aggressive head nodding across a <laughs> wide part of the population as a setup for what's about to follow, which is the, the, you know, a candidate I'm, I'm advocating for or a policy I'm advocating for, that's a powerful place to be. So for both reasons, because it's a powerful point of agreement uh, and because it actually is a logic model for our, uh, for, for much of our work and that we need that model to be activated instead of, of trickle down thinking, uh, it's really important. And I, on this point too, I went to. Uh, I was listening to your podcast interview with Trabian Shorters the other mm. day, um, where he focused on. He was talking about asset-based framing. I love that podcast. I love the idea of asset-based framing, and I think that's actually really at work here in mm-hmm. uh, with this idea of middle ad economics. You know, we often on the left we 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 can be very tempted because we're trying to advocate on behalf of a of a, a, a subset of the population sometimes that maybe have been historically marginalized or being victimized in some way. It, it's tempting for us to lean into that description of those populations uh, to to try to engender empathy for them from uh, but that is itself really the act of of communicating about people as marginalized victimized is denying them um, you know important parts of their humanity and is contributing to the to creating distance between them and the rest of the population mm-hmm. rather than creating kind connect, of connection. And so, you know, if, 
here with this idea of midline economics, that's really a, an incredible opportunity for us to lean into asset-based framing and to, to talk about you know, ordinary Americans as the powerful uh, uh, economic forces that they are. And that's why we need to focus on what they need to build their lives and, and to be able to contribute and participate in the community. Yeah, it really is. Working people are the engines of the economy is, to use economic terms, kind of the micro meeting the macro, right? Mm -hmm. I see myself as a person in that. That's the micro, but that's also the macro. It's the strategic level. It's the systemic level. Like, yeah, that's right. Um, That's a really interesting and rare case (laughs) where you can see something like that, sort of the human level messaging that Mm -hmm. actually speaks to a systemic, you know, fact. Yeah, really interesting. There are lots of ways to communicate about that. Um, you know, there's there's um, some messaging we've tried is is uh, um, you know lifting up small business owners as spokespeople to talk about mm-hmm. you know the the efforts to make healthcare and childcare more affordable and and saying like look when workers do well we all do well that's actually good for business it's good for the community and so we need to focus on what's good for workers. Uh, The fourth principle sort of builds on that. It says, put working people in the center of your story about the economy with government in a supporting role. We believe in, a, in an active government on the left. Uh, we believe that government should should intervene and, and be active and, and try to uh, impact the, the, the economy, to address inequality, all of those things. And it is one of the things that's kind of easy for us to slip into is because we're making we, – we've we believe that we have to make a case for government, that our story becomes about government, about government mm-hmm. and what government can do for you. And that's nobody wants that. <laughs> you know, one of the things you see, uh, you I'm sure have seen this. You've probably heard people say this exact phrase again and again and again across race, across geography. They want a hand up, not a handout. Nobody right. wants things. Nobody wants things given to them. They want to be empowered, however, um, and they're very happy for government to play an active role and to spend um, significant amounts of money to make that possible. And so, like one of the things that we it was interesting in, in a lot of our qualitative in the fall is that was in the middle of the Build Back Better debate, and you know we really wanted to. We were trying to get at these attitudes about the role of government and and, and spending, and and so we had we were doing focus groups across race. And these were very swingy groups because we eliminated partisans on both sides. And um, we got to the end of the focus groups and we presented a list of six things from Build Back Better. And we said, what if we spent a trillion dollars on on this? More affordable childcare, more affordable healthcare, uh, more uh, 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 loans for small businesses, extending the child tax credit, uh, broadband internet for all communities, including rural communities. There, was, there were six things that we listed. And we, we said, what if you spent a trillion dollars on that big number? How would that impact you and your family? Uh, how would it impact your community? These were tough groups. These were definitely groups that were leery of government spending. They were loved this list of things. And they, one woman, uh, a Latina, said she described that collectively as the foundation for self-reliance. Uh, another woman said those are the tools that help people work. Um, everyone used empowerment language. And so that really got us thinking about like this shift in framing of like these basic things that people need to build a life. They're very happy for government to play a role and for rich people to pay rich people, corporations to pay what the taxes they owe in order to make this possible. And we really borrowed from some work actually that you had done previously Mm -hmm. where you explored this and you had suggested language that, um, that what people are really seeking in life are the, are the tools and opportunities to build a good life. And so we've really, we, 
that to us sort of perfectly described what we were seeing and seemed like um, presented presented a great frame for us to be able to talk about these policies, the same policies, but in ways that were more about empowerment than about doing for. And and so we've tested that again and again and again. And it, it is, uh, you know, we can say with confidence that that is a really powerful frame. And that is literally the way that you position government in a supportive role. Um, mm. you, you communicate about government as in this very empowering way. Yeah. Offering people tools that they can use to build a good life. That is a metaphor of empowerment. You know, you can pick up the tool or not. You know, it's something you use to um, do a job. Uh, very powerful for people. Um, they're happy for government to play a role in doing that sort of thing. It was really interesting to see how powerful it was here in terms of the role of government and even the purpose of the economy. The other thing I think in your messaging, it really works is opportunity is a big buzzword in politics, Mm -hmm. right? Oh yeah, it's all about opportunity. But unless you have the tools, opportunity is just talk. So pairing opportunity with the tools to make it real, that seems like a powerful combination. Absolutely. And and opportunity at the end of the day is really about, about, you know, removing barriers. Um, Mm. Tools is about extending things. That's that's about spending money uh, to make sure you have affordable health care and to make sure you have affordable child care. And uh, because if you have those things, then you have a better chance to be able to build a good life. And. Um, you know, we've tried other things like, um, you know, we've, we've talked about the foundation that people need to build their life. Um, these, these metaphors do matter. <laughs> the way we communicate about things matters. And so, um, uh, you know, and, and it's, it's one of the things we, we have found uh, with, with advocates around the country as we talk about this. There's a lot of excitement about it because people see the opportunity and it's so easy to apply for people also, because if you, you know, if you come up with narrative work and messaging work that is challenging for people to be able to put into practice and their and apply to specific issues, then you haven't really done a very good job. And so, what one of the things we're finding is that this is really easy for people to apply, and that's uh, um, that in particular, this idea of government and supporting role uh, by focusing on like how we describe the things that government does and who it's serving. Mm. And I know we've wet a lot of people's appetites for these tools that we're mentioning. So I'll tell people you can see all of the research and get resources you can use, as Bobby was just saying, at the website winningjobsnarrative.org. Bobby, let's wrap it up with just one other important takeaway you think people should hear and that they will find when they go to winningjobsnarrative.org. So, you know, one of the things that we've seen is just the importance of relating. We engage in a lot of targeted policy work on the left. If we go the extra step to talk about not just the impact on the people in the, uh, who, who, for whom the policy is most directly focused, but also the broader impact, it's incredibly powerful. It's also another way we can relate policy to to the broader population is by connecting that, you know, particular policy to other policies that tell a bigger story. So, student debt, for example, we did a rapid test after that uh, after that was announced. And one of the things we saw is that we could significantly move support for student debt and also for, um, in this case, we were we were doing, uh, you know, generic ballot uh, uh, questions as well. And so support for Democrats who would say this is um, talking about the ways that student debt relief benefits the broader population and most importantly, connecting it to a broader agenda. So lowering cost of health care, lowering energy costs. If we think about and we advocates tend to get stuck in our silos and we, we there's these unwritten rules that if we're doing environmental work, we don't talk about health care. Um, mm. But but it, it is on our on our work on the 
uh, Inflation Reduction Act. We found that like talking about both aspects of the Inflation Reduction Act, lowering healthcare costs, um, making energy more affordable for people in combination, that that tells a more powerful story and it actually drives more support. And so one thing that we think we should be considering on the left is like how we place our policy advocacy within a broader framework that helps people see more clearly the values that underlie it, but also see more clearly how they benefit from this broader agenda. They may not be someone who has student debt, but they are someone in this broader group of working people who need a break. (laughs) And if Mm -hmm. we find ways to give a break to working people, that's actually good for them. It's good for everybody. And it does bring it full circle because it starts out with shared values and aspirations of hard work and, you know, rewarding and honoring hard work and then leads to shared benefits from policies, whether or not the policy is specifically for you. You see that it benefits the economy writ large because it benefits working people. And that's good for all of us. Well, that's really great. Thanks for doing this great work. Thanks for sharing this important information with us. And listeners, one more time, you can see all the research and get your hands on the resources at winningjobsnarrative.org.